Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Okay, whoa, the voice of the Lord is here. So we are doing, uh, we are starting our Artisan series uh, a series that really looks at just our relationship with God and how he injects this creativity into us. You know, there's a creativity that, that comes through this flow of God. You know, God, we, we grow in God. We grow in relationship with God. Uh, our lives grow to a structure. You know, it's not just this sort of errant sort of uh, growth like a, like, a, like a garden that isn't maintained. It is, it is structured. That is built according to a purpose. Uh, uh, Pastor Kevin brought a, a revelatory message uh, a few a few weeks ago, talking about just the the God's flow in our life being like a river, the river of God just flowing into our life, and 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 that's how. If you think about history, if you think about uh, two thousand years ago, uh, the most advanced civilization at the time was the Romans, and one of the absolute keys to the Romans' uh, success, what set them apart, what allowed them to get to a place of advanced civilization, was their, the, 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 the availability of fresh water. It, it, was what, it, was, it was something they did on a scale that far surpassed anything that had been done before. And the reason they were able to do it, what they had perceived, what they were able to design and were able to build, and as a result build huge cities around these sort of places that were remote from fresh water, was they would find these mountain springs on the top of you know, hills far remote from where they would want to build, in places that they couldn't possibly build. And what they decided was just to build these rivers, to build these things called aqueducts. And these aqueducts would essentially rely entirely on gravity. And they would just basically be this chute from, from a spring all the way down to sea level, maybe, or wherever they wanted to have a city or a town. And, but if you know landscape, you know that like, there aren't any just straight lines like everything's contours and curvature and things like that so they would build these just beautiful bridges these aqueducts over that would traverse these these uh these valleys from from peak to peak and you can see them even today and they were just they were bridges for rivers that would just maintain the flow and although they were functional they were like designed and they were beautiful it was it's it's a real sort of marvel of sort of you know early society that they could perceive well let's just build a straight line all the way down to where we are and it's what set them apart it was they were able to build according to that design they were able to build according to to a blueprint that had been set in place that they could replicate all the way around you know and likewise god has he has designed a, a framework he has he has created a blueprint by which we can grow. Something that is, that is modest but elegant. Something that is so beautiful in the way that God just brings us a solution, a remedy to, to the, the, the difficulties of humanity, to bring us into a place where we can have that relationship with him, where we can flow in that river. So I want to read to you from Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 to 16. This is Paul speaking. Uh, he says, and he himself, this is Jesus, gave himself to be apostles, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping 
of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, for whom, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I want you to understand a little bit about that writing. This was written by Paul. And Paul, he qualifies a lot of what he's saying because he was a scholar of the law. So when he is writing, when he is uh, presenting a principle, he has like these, he includes very specific detail about what he's referring to so that you are absolutely certain that what he is, uh, the context in which he's describing, it's almost like he's putting sidebars next to, next to the, the principle to allow the reader to understand what it's in reference to. He's, it's, it's like each truth is a brick which sits within a wall inside a room within a house that God has built. Every single one of them. So it's like everything has a relation to something else. And so that's why he puts all that detail in there. That's why, you know, you'll find so many commas in his writing because he wants you to understand exactly what he means by that so it cannot be taken out of context. And you see, in that scripture there, in that verse, in that really long sentence, uh, God has, he has placed this blueprint, this design that Jesus demonstrated that allows us to develop into all that God has called us to be. And I want us to explore that. I want us to understand that because I absolutely believe that will allow us to discover the artisan, to discover the creator that sits within, that God is calling us to be. So I want us to go, the way we're going to look at this is I want us to really focus on the second half of that passage, that it allows us to appreciate the first half. So the first part I want us to, to look at is we should no longer be children halfway through what I read there. We should no longer be children. Well, you might be asking yourself, well, why? Aren't we called to have childlike faith? It's true. We are called to have open and accepting hearts. But, but, but Paul was very specific about what he meant there. He wasn't referring to that. He's not saying he doesn't want us to be open and accepting. But he is cautioning us against being naive. That's the naivety of, of being a child. Is that, that In what he writes, children are vulnerable says, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see, he was making it very clear. He's not saying don't have childlike faith. What he's saying is just you can't remain a child. You can't remain immature because if you're immature, you will get tossed about. You won't know where you stand. You will be naive. You will be vulnerable to the winds of life, the, the doctrine of the day that will sweep you up and confuse you and turn you inside out. But in faith, like life, we, we all start out as children. That's just the way it is. No, no one comes into faith. No one comes into believing as a fully mature, fully realized, fully uh, self-aware Christian. That's something that comes. It, it, it is a process that we are required to adhere to that process of learning, that process of maturing. 
And that is what Paul is saying. You can't remain children. You've got to mature. It's an absolutely critical part of your faith walk, of your faith journey. So to continue, and as I said, I'm going to kind of skip the sidebars so that we understand exactly what Paul is saying. We should no longer be children, but speak the truth in love. But speak the truth in love. Now you might be asking yourself, well, why is, why is that important? Surely maturity involves something a little more sophisticated, right? You might be like, well, well I don't, why, is, why is it that that would be the most important? What would make that the, the qualifier for, for maturity? And it's, it's, you know, adults will often sort of quantify maturity or relate it to conduct. Say so you, you act mature. You know, you act mature. It's, it's, the, it's the, uh, the great sort of uh, uh, issue that, that, that women have with their husbands is that you act immature. It's, it's all about conduct. But, but, but this is what it, but, but what is that really? Like, what is that really? Well, I think it is when you think about it. Maturity is, is a consideration for those around you. It's, 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 it's maturity is essentially our awareness of others, physically and emotionally. Think about a toddler. I've had many. Uh, <laughs> they are conscious of other people. But, but they aren't really, like, they are self-centered. Like, I say that in the nicest possible way. They don't know any better, right? But they are self-centered. They, they think about themselves above all else. And, and if they don't get their way, they will cry. And if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and they have three brothers and sisters asleep, it doesn't matter. They'll cry all the more because they know they've got the leverage in that situation. <laughs> but maturity is sort of the extending of that awareness, right? It's, it's extending it. First, you extend it to the people that you love then you extend that consideration to the people that you meet. And at its very extreme, it is extending it just to, to anybody, to, to anyone around, to everybody. That is, that is, that is a consideration of, of all around. And, and Paul, when he sort of talks about that, he connects that, 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 that awareness, he connects that consideration to being Christ-like. It's like being Christ. And, and what is he meaning by that? He's saying like Christ is the head of the body, and everything is connected to him. All the lives, everyone in association, there is this supply, there is this network, there is this flow where like everybody is connected to everybody else. That there is this, it's like the blood in your heart. It, the heart doesn't just supply blood to the organs around it, does it? It, it's, it provides it to the very extremes of your body, to your, to your fingertips, to your toes, to your nose, to your ears. It supplies it everywhere because everything is connected. Everything relies on everything else. And, and that's what God is saying. Like the, the, the full level of maturity is to have an appreciation that everything is connected to everything else, that it can't just be in isolation. I'm going to come back to that point in a second. But just to finish, sort of the, the truth. We should no longer be children. But speak the truth in love, causing growth of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Now, I find this a really exciting bit because there is this hearing effect that, that, that Paul is alluding to here. If you imagine like a little cog on your bike, a mountain bike, for instance, and you know you have that big cog that sits beneath you and you kind of, that's the one you cycle, and, and then you have your wheels at the front, which are kind of like cogs, but rounder. And, uh, <laughs> but, but what actually dictates 
sort of how it's set up for your ability to sort of uh, take on different sort of uh, climbs, not heights, the steepness. It's the gearing at the back. It's the little gears. It's the little cogs at the back that determine all of that stuff. And, and, and you can be cycling along, and I'm sure we've all done it, where you are just coming up to a big hill and you've got a little bit of head of steam. And you press the gears the wrong way and it goes really stiff. And you go, stop, and you have to push your bike up the hill. Can't cycle because you've got your gearing on. Because the little one, the little gear, has a huge effect on the whole mechanism. It has a massive effect on everything around it. It can stop everything. But a cog, that cog on its own is, is it's immaterial, right? I mean, in fact, the bigger the cog that's just on its own, like it's an even bigger nuisance. If you've just got a big mountain bike cog sitting on your sitting in your kitchen like it's a pain in the neck right can't eat it or anything no it's 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 immaterial it's 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 not about being a big cog it's not about being a big fish in a small pond you know that's the that's the most ludicrous thing ever to be proud of of having so small uh, an influence of having so small uh, an impact on your surroundings uh, maturity is not vainglorious. Self-praise is the hallmark of foolishness, right? It looks, in doing that thing, in, in, in sort of puffing ourselves up, it is if we build ourselves our own stage. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> build yourself. Now, I was thinking about something recently. I was thinking of pop stars and musicians. And I always found it really disingenuous when they're receiving some sort of award or some accolade or they're being interviewed. And they'll say, ah, you know, but the fans are the most important thing. Because I didn't think that was a very authentic statement. I figured, well, look, you're saying that because you have a materialistic interest in saying that they're important to you because they go to your gigs, they buy your albums, they wear your merchandise, right? And, and so I was pretty cynical of that. Any other honest cynics in the room? Like I was always really, I just didn't buy it. I, I just thought it, it sounded a bit off-key. Excuse the pun. Uh, but I've sort of listened to and, and, and thought about it a little more because it bothered me. <laughs> And what I've sort of come to in a different opinion is that if you listen to sort of artists, there is this tremendous high that they have when they perform. When they stand on stage and, they, and they're just engaging with people. You know, they're singing their song and the, con- the congregation, the, <laughs> the spectators, Freudian slip there, uh, are roaring it back. You know, it's in this intense, heightened experience. And, and often a lot of the problems that, sorry guys, A lot of the problems that musicians have in terms of like sort of uh, drug abuse and, 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 and those sorts of things, it's, it's about trying to get back to that high. It's about trying to get back to that, that heightened sense. And, and it's all a substitute for what... It, so when they say, you know what, none of this would be possible without you, it, you know, you are... I think it's a genuine statement in, in more cases than I had appreciated because... There's nothing more sort of pathetic than building your own stage and, and just being oblivious to those people that have come. To, to have a stage, isn't it ridiculous to have a stage and not take in the people who've come to take in part? 
to take part in it. You know, if, if I just sort of preached in Latin because it made me feel really clever, Hebrew even, like that would be ridiculous. Like who would turn up for that? Who on earth would come, unless you speak those languages, of course, but not many people do. I'm going to get down from here. It is far more impactful to, to take whatever glory is bestowed upon you for your contribution and to apply it to the momentum of the body. To apply it to the momentum that it gains an encouragement. It gains an edification. That is what it's about. There is so much more that can be achieved. Our, the growth in our faith is, is directly related to how it is applied to the advancement of God's kingdom, to building of his house, to find joy in unity. And the collective success is, is a humble sign of experience. Your genius is, it's only ever fully realized, fully tapped into, fully sort of expended when it's in service to the larger body. In fact, witnessing the growth within the body, that is like the true indication of growth. That is, that is how you recognize it. That's how you know when you can see that your little part, that the bit that you played and that everything went off, and not taking glory for it, but knowing I was there, I, I, I brought my best, and everybody else brought their best, and the best things happened, that is maturity. So there's this, there's this fascinating pivot on that whole verse, on that whole sort of scripture. The beginning that I talked about was this sort of personal intent, this personal responsibility for maturity. And however, that, that, that maturity, that, that, that aim was not, was not sort of fulfilled in the way that you would necessarily think it was. It, wasn't, it was a personal responsibility, but it wasn't a per- personal accomplishment. It's no longer about personal accomplishment, about the collective the far-reaching implications that come when, when we join with other people. There was something, I, I, I hope I'm not going to embarrass someone here. I certainly have no intention of it. But uh, the guys who did the Banker Base, one of them, uh, some of you guys might know him, uh, some of you might not, but, but Lee, uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, no, not me. But he, like, is a serious runner. And he runs, like, competitively, very regularly. And I, and I, from, I honestly believe that if he had decided to, he could have got a podium finish on that, on that Bankery Beast. I honestly believe that because he does some incredible running at a really high level. But what, like, so impressed me, and what, what Laura was telling me, which, which I was so, like, kind of like, wow, that's really amazing, was that he kind of just was, like, willing to kind of put that aside, put aside the, the personal accolade and be like, you know what? It's getting a team across the finish line. That is the greater accomplishment, to stand with a team. And as Heidi said, like, the fact we all crossed together was like this amazing sort of thing that they had done together. That blows me away. That blows me away when, when a person will sort of sub, uh, surrender their own personal glory for the far greater achievement, the far greater accomplishment of the group. To stand up here united, to know we cross the line together. 
to be a support. And Laura said that. He was such a support through all the training. Hey, why don't you try these shoes? Why don't you try this app for running and things like that? Just to do it together is a real thing. Like that's, that's something that is important to, to, to how we grow and how is a house that we find that place of maturity and what we are aiming towards. I want you to sort of focus in, just as we're sort of coming towards the end of this message. There's something, there's, the growth of this message is, is leveraged upon a really simple principle, which I mentioned earlier. Speak truth to love. Properly give you an explanation. I want you to understand it. I want you to see it. I want you to really kind of get a picture of it. For it's the profound genius in discovering it. It's, it's like in its simplicity. And so we're going to go to the very end of John, when Jesus has returned from the dead and, and he's come and he's sitting on the lakeside with uh, his disciple Peter. The, uh, Peter has messed up. He denied Jesus in front of people. He just Although he was like, I'm all for you, God, when, when the heat was on, he was handle the heat. And so he, he sort of denied God and he felt just like just everything in his identity turned up. He's sitting there and Jesus is kind of like engaging with him and he's He's in the middle. I'm going to pick it up in the middle of a conversation. He's asked him two times already, uh, love me. And he's like, I love you. But I'm going to give you what the meaning of that really is. So, it, so just to, to finish, Peter, uh, John 21, 17 to 18. I'm just going to read 17 and then I'm going to read 18. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Have you, ever, I wonder, have you ever wondered the why of that scene? Have you ever sort of wondered what the key was to Peter was transformed. After this conversation, he uh, went on to establish the early church. He was one of the voices in that. Was it was it this heart to heart? Was it this conversation here that was that was turning Peter's heart? You know, Jesus was entrusting him with this message of grace for God's children to be a discipler of them. But at the same time, he's asking a guy who denied him when the heat was on. And Jesus knew the heat was going to be on when he left. That these guys were going to be persecuted and. During that little bit that I read you, he can't even deny because it doesn't come through in English. But let me find what the the or for those words love. Jesus is asking him, "Do you love me?" And what he means by that is, "Do you love me with you know sort of total commitment and devotion?" It's the word agape means total commitment like with everything. Like as if you were standing in front of the altar with the one you love, with everybody around. And you are saying, I commit my life to you without reservation, without question, without anything, uh, anything else. So I, that is how much I love you. And Peter, I love you. But the love he's saying is, is uh, filial. What that means is, I love you with deep affection as you would a really close friend. And, and he's just sort of ashamed. Like he t- you think about it. He's just denied. 
said he would go with him to death, but he didn't really. And he's just so ashamed of himself. He just It's probably not that he didn't want to say that. It was like, I can't, I can't say that. Like, I've done nothing to show that. I would feel like an absolute fraud to say that. It feels like this big. It feels so small. And, and Jesus is saying, come on, love me with just total commitment. I know you want to. He says, you want to, Jesus. I really, really do. I just, I would feel so false. I feel so beaten down in my current state that I just wouldn't in good faith feel that I could say that. It's as if he's really saying, like, Jesus, I'm for you. I love you, Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love you. I think you're going to have to rely on someone else. I'm just not trustworthy enough. I'm just not ready to take this on. You're going to have to find somebody else. I'm for you. I'm the guy who'll turn up to church every single Sunday. Please, just don't ask me to do anything. I'll just let you down. And so, Jesus does something. Does something that Prophesies a change. Something that Peter can't see. Something that Peter can't touch. So go to verse 18. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus creates this illustration of of young and old. While Peter stands at the crossroad between young and old, immature and mature. And he's saying, you know, when when you're young, you exercise agency. Like you decide what you want to do, where you want to go, and with what attitude you want to do it. You know, Peter was, was like a wild boy. He was so wild. Like he would do crazy stuff. He would think something and just say it immediately. Some, some soldiers, the army came to take Jesus away. And what does he do? Everybody else runs. He reaches for a sword and starts chopping away. The guy was like he was impulsive. He was passionate. He would just go with the flow. He would just, nothing would hold him back. But he was reckless. There was a recklessness in his youth. There was an immaturity that he was just so carried by his emotions. His emotions would sort of determine what he would do. And then Jesus paints this picture of maturity. That he would surrender that choice. Surrender that benefit. That, that he would go and minister to those who were despite his own preferences. Despite where he wants to go. The key to that was he said, stretch out your hands. Everything else in those, uh, those uh, verses there, are like you find direct parables, but the difference is, he says, stretch out your hands. An expression of personal surrender. I am prepared to be led. I am prepared to be led. It might not always be where I want to go, but I am prepared to go where you take me. I am prepared to go where you need me. This transition from being sort of unrestrained, where he would just sort of hurtle around the place to being commissioned. Step out in purpose, with a liberty, but with a purpose, with a mandate. See God's kingdom. 
Jesus restored Peter's relationship with him. He reconnects the flow of the anointing. He renders the, the baptisms of the Holy Spirit. He creates an inlet into life. But equally importantly, he also creates an outlet. Creates uh, a focus for Peter's energies to build the church, to minister to the lost. He creates an outlet for that flow. So that Peter is now reconnected with what God is wanting to do at that time in that place. You know, he was not mature just because he spent three years beside Jesus. Realize. Prophecy is this beautiful. It's to see the, uncle- uh, the unformed clay is to recognize the sort of the artistry, the beauty underneath. It's just it's just clay, but you, but you see it. You see it. It's it's only the smallness within ourselves that resents the championing of others. Greatness within in somebody to just take in a person be able to see the fire of God the word that will word that will something where a person you know some of us go through seasons of our lives where we are transient where we where we are unsettled we don't know where we fit in and, and it is to bring a word that Turmoil, to recognize the condition of the heart and not just not just sort of throw something out there, but to inquire of God, fire of the Spirit, word sustainability will bring structure into their lives. Minister into the things that are sealed. They are called. Artisans. We've been called architects. An architect does no building. Right, isn't it, Andy? They don't do any of the building. What they do is they see the structure before there's anything to build. They see it. They see the landscape. They can project what is currently unknown. They draw the line between what is unknown and what is just unseen. No one else has contemplated how the idea has been set forth. But we are called, God has called every single one of us to carry that word, to have a word, to be able to minister that word of encouragement, that word of edification, that word that will bring a person to the realization of the gift Every single one of us here, God has given us that gift. He doesn't withhold it from anyone because it is an absolutely critical component within church. Individual grows best. The body grows with them. Grows together. Amen? Thanks for joining with us. 
For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.